Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you on our late night show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday? in Jacksonville, Florida, than right here on Hacker After Dark. We are certainly glad you are with us. We are inside of 48 hours until the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York football Jets. We got a lot to get into tonight. Here is what the guest lineup looks like. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, my friend Chris Trapasso, CBSSports.com. He wrote an article that's on the NFL page on CBS Sports. All about Trevor Lawrence. What is going so right right now for Trevor Lawrence? I think you'll find it to be a very interesting article over on CBSSports.com, and we'll have Chris Trapasso on to talk about the article and about Trevor less than 20 minutes from now. Coming up in about 40 minutes, my friend Brent Beard will put one final wrap on the Florida Gator 2022 season. We'll also look ahead to signing day tomorrow There's some angst in Gator Nation about what's going on, not only with signing day, but about the transfer portal. So we'll talk with Brent Beard about that in the 11 o'clock hour. Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio. He's based up in New York. We will talk Jaguars and Jets with Zig Fricasi. And at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour, Justin Barney of Channel 4 as we get you ready locally for National Signing Day, at least the December portion of it, tomorrow morning and afternoon. But as we always do, to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night, and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So it was two years ago today, December 20th, 2020. The Jaguars played at 1 o'clock that afternoon and had gotten boat raced 40-14 to by Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, that was the year Jacksonville would lose 15 games in a row after winning the opener over Indianapolis. So I came in to do the fifth quarter. Leon Searcy was out that day two years ago. Big Sofa Damon Jones was in, filling in for Big Leon. And Damon and I were talking about the Jaguars and the Ravens. We were talking about how awful things were here in Jacksonville in the midst of, at that point, now a 13-game losing streak. It was the 13th consecutive loss on that particular Sunday. And I remember sitting in this chair, this same chair, the same microphone, in the same radio studio, watching the same television that I'm watching right now. And as Damon and I are having a conversation, I peered up to the screen and just happened to see the New York Jets and the Los Angeles Rams. 
It was a third down and six for the Jets. Two minutes and 15 seconds to go. Jets, amazingly, were up three. They were winless at this point. All they had to do is lose their remaining three games, and they would have gotten the number one overall pick. And in the midst of the fifth quarter, two years ago, this is what it sounded like. And do the best that they can. So I don't see uh, anything uh, other than those guys doing their best. And you're you're making a, a like something just bad um, happened. Did, did it happen? What happened? What bad happened? I believe Frank Gore has just got a first down oh. for the New York Jets. They are going to go in victory formation in Los Angeles, and the New York Jets are going to win a football game. Wow. That means if the NFL draft were happening tomorrow, the Jacksonville Jaguars have the number one pick in the draft based on tiebreakers. Holy cow. Now, again, all the tiebreaker scenarios that have been played out, the numbers that have been crunched will tell you the Jaguars would win out on strength of schedule where they would end up with the number one pick. This is going to make for some compelling radio the next two weeks. Again, Jacksonville, I am volunteering my services to play quarterback for the Jaguars on Sunday. Damon, I don't know if you want to come out of retirement. I'm good. If you want to, if you want to come back and play. But the New York Jets, based on what I see right here, are going to go into victory formation. They're going to beat the Los Angeles Rams. That's going to be... And because the New York Jets won that football game two years ago today, the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to draft Trevor Lawrence. So happy Frank Gore Day, Jacksonville. This should be a local holiday every year. As we get ready for Christmas every year, get ready to celebrate the holidays with friends and family. We should kick it off annually on December 20th with the annual Frank Gore Day here in Jacksonville, Florida. At some point, he should be presented a key to the city. Need to maybe have a parade for Frank Gore. I said earlier this week, the Jaguars should all go into MetLife Stadium on Thursday night wearing Frank Gore uniforms. Because he got that first down, the Jaguars were able to draft Trevor Lawrence. What would have happened had Frank Gore not gotten that first down? We ever think of that? If Frank Gore did not get that first down, if the Jets do not beat the Rams two years ago today, the Jets would be drafting Trevor Lawrence. He'd be in New York City. There's no doubt about that. Would the Jaguars have taken Zach Wilson? Would the Jaguars have taken Justin Fields? Would Urban Meyer have wanted to come to Jacksonville in the first place? Would Doug Peterson have wanted to come to Jacksonville? The chain of events, the dominoes that fell on that Sunday evening, the 20th day of December in 2020, two years ago today, are absolutely unbelievable. And thankfully, thankfully, Frank Gore did get that first down. The Jets did win that game, and the Jaguars have reaped the benefits. The Jaguars have a top 10 quarterback. You could argue top five. He's playing like a top five quarterback. And Trevor Lawrence with 24 touchdowns, 
seven interceptions, 3,500 yards passing, completing 66% of his passes. He heads to New York City on Thursday night with an opportunity to get the Jaguars an enormous road win and continue a drive to the postseason in only year number two. It's fitting the Jaguars are playing the Jets this week on the two-year anniversary of Frank Gore getting that first down. Trevor Lawrence is here. Zach Wilson is there. Zach Wilson officially named the starter for the Jets on Thursday night. Trevor Lawrence met the media earlier today down at TIAA Bankfield, and he talked about his relationship with the New York Jets starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I've known him, I guess, like you said, since the, the draft process. You know, we both trained out in California pretty close to one another, so he trained with someone else, but um, I met him out there. We actually use the same chef, so met him out there. So I've seen him a few different times since then. Obviously, we played up there last year. Um, and I, you know, I've always had a good relationship with him. We've kept in touch kind of loosely throughout the, not really this season, but the off season and during the season last year, both being rookies. Um, so we kind of kept in touch and, you know, root, root for him, obviously, you know, um, we got a pretty good relationship. We're not super close necessarily, but, you know, I have a lot of respect for him and um, all that, you know, so that's, yeah. Zach Wilson playing for the Jets because Mike White, who was the starting quarterback, is out. Keep in mind, the Jets with Zach Wilson at quarterback this year, I believe, are five and three. He's won five games as a starter. He has just played really, really bad in most of the games that they've lost, and he played bad, quite frankly, in some of the games they even won. The Jets' defense is just simply so good that they overcame a lot of those issues. There is supposed to be weather in New York City on Thursday night. It's going to be cold. I've seen low 40s, high 30s. There's certainly a chance of some rain. You mix the cold with the rain, it could be nasty. We remember Philadelphia, right, earlier this year. Remember Trevor fumbling the ball four times in weather in Philadelphia. Trevor was asked today what he learned in Philly if the weather is bad in East Rutherford, New Jersey, on Thursday night. Yeah, I take care of the ball a little better. Uh, and that's, But, no, I mean, as far as just my preparation, I mean, you, you kind of know what to expect as far as it's probably going to rain, going to be cold. Um, but I think you just approach like any other week, obviously. Ball security is really important, especially in games like that. It always is, um, but especially in, in those conditions. And just be smart, you know, maybe work on it this week, some wet ball drill stuff with the, with the wideouts and, and myself just throwing in those conditions. And um, But, no, I mean, that's really, that's really it. That's all you can do. Think about the last three wins for the Jaguars. Not only have they beaten three teams that would be in the playoffs if they started today, Baltimore, Tennessee, and Dallas, they fell behind to each of those teams. They trailed Baltimore and Dallas in the fourth quarter. Remember, Tennessee went right down the field and scored and then scored again to go up 14-7. So not only are they beating good teams, they're coming from behind to do it. Now, you don't want to do that, right? You want to get off to better starts. But if you can come from behind and win against better teams in this league, that has to give you an unbelievable amount of confidence. It also shows the fact 
There's no panic on this football team. Trevor Lawrence addressed that earlier today as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've felt that at different times really throughout my couple of years here, but I would say kind of it all coming together for everyone, not just myself, but just that belief full circle and seeing it consistently. I think you look back at kind of like the Raiders game, you know, being down and coming back and winning that game. That, that specifically, I'd say, you kind of start to see it happen with everyone. Everyone's got each other's back. There's no panic. There is no panic. There's no doubt about that. And boy, they got a big one Thursday night. And they've earned this. You know why this is a big game on Thursday? Because they've earned the right for it to be a big game. Now, I do wonder, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, glass half empty guy. I'm just stating my opinion. I hope Jacksonville goes up there and wins. And I might even be leaning towards picking them to win. But it's a tall order. This is a tall order. You got to come off an emotional win like they had two days ago. Denmark, as we know, tomorrow, the Jaguars are getting on an airplane. Thank you. And flying to East Rutherford, New Jersey. They're playing a Jets team on Thursday night in their house, in the cold, in New Jersey, that needs the win terribly bad as well. It is a tall order. There are not a lot of teams in the NFL that could do this, that could win in Tennessee, come home down 17 against Dallas, come back and win, and then in four days' time go to New York and beat the Jets on Thursday night primetime. Yeah, I'm pumped. We're getting into rare, yeah, we're getting into rarefied air here if the Jaguars actually pull this off. So I hope Jaguar fans realize this is tough, man. This is a tough ask to ask the Jaguars to go up there and win another game against a good team in their house on Thursday night. But good grief. If they do it, all of a sudden then you're seven and eight. You got a mini buy, right? You got 10 days to rest up before you go to Houston. Oh, if they win this game on Thursday night, what a win. What a win it would be. We're going to talk a lot of Jaguars and Jets tonight. We're going to talk a lot about the early signing period, which is tomorrow. We're here at Midnight Jacksonville. We are streaming for your viewing pleasure on the 1010XL YouTube page. Just go to YouTube.com, search 1010XL. You'll see Hacker After Dark there. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter. You can watch the show there until midnight tonight. Coming up next, Chris Trapasso, cbssports.com. He's got an article up on cbssports.com all about Trevor Lawrence. Why in the last six weeks has he been one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League? It's a good article. It's why I wanted Chris on. We're going to talk about it next. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. After Dark on 1010XL. Now, Yellow. another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Jets, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Trevor Lawrence on a national stage, albeit 
a streaming national stage on Amazon Prime. Of course, you'll be able to watch the game locally here on Fox 30. But Trevor has played awfully well the last six weeks, and now the national audience will get to see him in prime time. Chris Trapasso is one of our guys over at CBSSports.com, and he wrote a very, very good article about Trevor Lawrence earlier this week. Chris is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Chris, how we doing? Doing really good. Thanks for having me again. Hey, Chris, always appreciate the time, man. All right, you and I talked uh, before Trevor was drafted. We've talked last year. We talked this offseason. It's a completely different narrative here in Jacksonville, Chris. All of a sudden, the Jaguars control their own destiny. Three games to go. And if they win all three, they'd be AFC South champions. That's amazing, considering they it were. It is amazing, and and it's it's amazing. And even though they're only six and eight, and I wrote this in the article, we hear about with a lot of the top teams in 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 both conferences that teams understand it's a seventeen game season. It's really long. You want to be on the cautious side with injuries. And what's more important than anything else is that you're playing your best football in late December and early January. And it looks like that's what the Jaguars are doing now. So even if they don't have a very gaudy record going into the playoffs, if they're winners of, you know, seven of eight or, you know, seven of their last 10, whatever the case may be, they're going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs because of Trevor Lawrence. And I wrote in my article, especially being a draft guy at heart, we are starting to see why, and almost reminded of why he was such a highly regarded, almost generational prospect that we kind of lost sight of that during his rookie season. But he's really playing not just, you know, he's taken a step, but he's playing pretty close to being an elite quarterback over these last six games for the Jaguars. Chris, you mentioned in your article, too, the struggles early in the year. Why do you think things have gotten so much better for Trevor as of late? I think it's just learning Doug Peterson's system and – not just that blanket statement, but understanding when he can take some of those risks down the football field. That Doug Peterson, I think the staff, his system altogether is very quarterback friendly. And it, it gives a lot of easy high level or high percentage completions uh, to Trevor Lawrence and, and really whoever the quarterback was when he was in Philadelphia. That was the case as well with a litany of different quarterbacks, those play action uh uh, bootlegs into the flat a lot of screens we've seen over the last six games really two months that Trevor Lawrence has said okay I have these layups I'm going to hit on these but occasionally we need to stretch the football field downfield to Marvin Jones and to Zay Jones and to Christian Kirk and he's really settled into that balance of staying within the scheme and taking the layups and then showing everyone again why he has that high level arm talent that made him this can't-miss prospect in 2021. Chris Trapasso, CBS Chris, it's all about checking off boxes for Trevor. And, look, he's checked off a lot of boxes. I thought he did it again on Sunday. Back in the day, last year and even earlier this year, when something went wrong, it was like a quicksand effect. Then another thing would mm-hmm. go wrong and another, and it's like he couldn't dig himself out of it. Well, Sunday, he throws the pick in the third quarter, comes right back and then throws a 60-yard touchdown strike to Zay Jones. And then the bigger one, the fumble with 90 seconds to go, the defense holds, he gets the ball back, and bam, drives him for the game-tying field goal. I thought, Chris, for a guy that was starting his 31st game in the NFL, that was unbelievably impressive. Yeah, and that is – it's 
good that you point that out because it it's kind of goes beyond the stat book that you needed to be watching that game to see that he had to have that quarterback amnesia and just forget about the last drive. That touchdown, that 59-yarder to Zay Jones, was the next throw after the interception. So in today's NFL, we saw certainly in Week 15, it is as parody-filled maybe as ever. And even a 17-point lead in the second half is not safe. So I think Trevor Lawrence being that it was his 31st start, he understands that now. And he understands, hey, look, I still need to make big-time throws and not put the ball in precarious situations. A, a turnover here or a turnover there with the way that he knows that he can push the ball downfield, that's not the end of a game. And you can be down by 17 points. You can still have a turnover. You can have multiple turnovers. When he has the ball, I'm, I'm not going to put him in the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, or Justin Herbert territory, but because – he has a very similar arm talent to those three top-level quarterbacks. When he has the football, if there's, I think, anything more than 30 or 40 seconds on the clock, he can drive the length of the field outside of structure or within the pocket and get the Jaguars into field goal range if they need it or even to score a touchdown. And that, again, is why there was really no debate in 2021 that he had to be the first pick. We're starting to see him really assume that potential or realize that potential late in his second season. A couple of more for Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. He's got the Trevor Lawrence article there on the NFL page at CBS Sports. You know, you're only as good, Chris, as a quarterback when you have a good O-line and good weapons around you. And Trent Baalke got a lot of grief this offseason for paying big money for Zay Jones, for Evan Ingram, and for Christian Kirk. Did you overpay? Maybe. But on Sunday, those three had 20 catches – for over 200 yards and Zay Jones's three touchdowns. I mean, they're all three going to have career years here in Jacksonville, and I guess that just speaks to not only Trevor Lawrence, but working in Doug Peterson's offense. Yeah, definitely. And and what's funny is, so I'm in Buffalo, and it, it feels somewhat similar to what happened three and four years ago with the Bills and Josh Allen, that Josh Allen, it kind of took until his second season – to not make as many mistakes, but still be able to push the ball down the field in some close contests in year two when the Bills made the playoffs. They went 10-6. and six. They got back there with Josh Allen. Um, and, and that they brought in John Brown. They, bought, they brought in Cole Beasley. And to have those veterans with a younger quarterback doing it that way instead of saying, let's draft a wide receiver in the first round. So we have a 22-year-old quarterback and we have a 21-year-old wide receiver to have veterans that Trevor Lawrence can rely on on the field during practice that can help him say, hey, look, this is where we should maybe try this concept if we're down late or you can trust me on this route, that's huge for his development. So even if the Jaguars did overpay a little bit for those receivers, I think we've certainly seen that they're getting pretty good quality or return on investment at this point where – Right now, I, I wouldn't even really consider it much of an overpayment. And even if it is, I don't think anyone in Jacksonville cares if they spent extra money um, to get Zay Jones and Christian Kirk on this team because they are two versatile players that can play in the slot, on the outside. They run good routes. We've seen them make plays after the catch and down the football field. So in today's NFL, where wide receiver is so vital, it's almost hard to overpay when you have a young quarterback with veteran receivers that can help his development in year two or any point early in his career. Chris, as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask you about the Jets game on Thursday, but you piqued my interest with 
the Buffalo comparison. Obviously, Josh Allen took off when Stephon Diggs came. And I'm not saying that Calvin Ridley is going to be Stephon Diggs, but Calvin Ridley, before he stepped away from the game, you could argue was among the top 15 wide receivers in the league. If if Calvin Ridley is 75% of the receiver that he was in Atlanta when he comes here to Jacksonville after he gets reinstated, what could that do for Trevor Lawrence? It's huge. I mean, I, I don't think he will have as big of an impact as Stephon Diggs, but remember, Stephon Diggs kind of felt like a, a Calvin Ridley-type wide receiver in Minnesota. He was kind of the second fiddle to Adam Thielen, had a couple thousand-yard seasons, felt like this young, burgeoning wide receiver. He gets to Buffalo, and then he's the number one guy, and he takes off and becomes an elite receiver. He's an all-pro. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Calvin Ridley assumes those number or those wide receiver one type targets, that role with a young quarterback that has all the talent in the world. And we even see a better Calvin Ridley in year two. Beyond that, I think it's, it's very similar to the bills in that, like I mentioned, John Brown and Cole Beasley, when they enter that 2020 season, they were the one and the two Stefan Diggs comes in teams still had to pay attention to Cole Beasley and John Brown. And that helps Stefan Diggs get probably more one-on-ones than an offense that is just one receiver centric. And I think going into next season, they will certainly have that where teams are going to face the Jaguars and say, Hey, look, we just saw two really productive seasons from Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. We need to pay attention to them as well. I think you're looking at a pretty good veteran wide receiver group. You could certainly still add, you know, a receiver in the draft in the second or the third round to learn from these veterans. And certainly having Marvin Jones, I think, has has worked wonders for this group kind of gelling together. But, yes, definitely I think Calvin Ridley could be in a situation where there won't be crazy high expectations, but he's kind of aligned to be a breakout player next season with Trevor Lawrence in year three. Final moments with Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. All right, Chris, the Jaguars go to New York. Boy, about a month ago, you thought, boy, this will be a snooze fest for Amazon on Thursday night. And now all of a sudden, good grief, this is a huge game with huge playoff implications for both teams. What's your expectation on Thursday? Well, I think the loss of Cam Robinson that we just heard about earlier this week is is big. We'll certainly see what Walker Little can do suddenly in a huge spot at left tackle. Um, But I think this will be a game where we really see the importance and the value that Doug Peterson brings. Because the Jets can certainly bring it up front with their defensive line. They like to blitz. Certainly their rookie cornerback, Sauce Gardner, looks like the defensive rookie of the year. He's been locked down on the perimeter. But kind of what I just mentioned earlier about next season with Kelvin Ridley and the diverse weapons, what's good about this Jaguars team right now is that they're not just relying on Zay Jones. They're not just relying on Christian Kirk or Marvin Jones. They've spread the ball around very well. So even if maybe this is a game where Zay Jones doesn't have a three touchdown performance, but we've seen that Trevor Lawrence can elevate other players on the roster. I think we'll see more play action, a lot of easy throws, get the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hands. So he's not under duress a lot, although he has shown that he can make those big time throws when there is pressure in his face. Um, And I think defensively, the Jaguars can stay with this Jets team, especially with Zach Wilson um, at the quarterback spot, who's just not nearly as accurate or poised under pressure as 
the former backup, Mike White. So I think we're in for a very fun Thursday night football uh, contest for a change um, here between the Jaguars and the Jets. Chris, final question. Who wins the AFC South? I think it's the Jaguars. I, I Just look at the momentum, and I know some people don't believe in it, but I think the way that it is trended with that Jaguars win over the Titans, that convincing win, that kind of set the stage for what we've seen over the last couple of weeks that what I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, it's all about playing your best football with the most confidence late in the season. And it feels like the Titans are kind of stuck in the mud. They are certainly banged up quite a bit. Ryan Tannehill's future in terms of being on the injury report, we don't know how long he's going to be out, if he's going to be out. Um, defensively, they, they went through a pretty solid stretch where they were looking better on defense, but now they've played some better teams. They haven't been quite as strong. I think the Jaguars mostly due to Trevor Lawrence and the stability at the, at the uh, head coach spot is huge this time of year, especially that it's Doug Peterson who's won a Super Bowl. And if he does have to, you know, go up against um, Mike Vrabel in terms of just the win loss record, he's another coach that has tons of experience in these critical end of the regular season type uh, situations. So I think the Jaguars will squeak it out and they will have a home playoff game. Chris Trapasso does a terrific job for CBSSports.com, and you can read his article about Trevor Lawrence right now on CBS Sports, the NFL homepage. Chris, as always, man, thank you. Happy holidays. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Appreciate it. Always enjoy having Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Again, the Jaguars and the Jets on Thursday night. Tomorrow night is the last Hacker After Dark of the week. We'll be with you from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and then we're all over. On Thursday, I'll join Hayes Carline for the uh, Jaguar pregame, leading into the network coverage. We'll be on from 3 o'clock <clears throat> to about 5.15. And then on Friday, Friday morning, a special edition of the fifth quarter. Myself, Leon Searcy, head coach Dave Campo, will be in for Dan and Jeff on the drill so a special fifth quarter, Friday morning, 7A to 10A, getting you uh, all caught up on the previous night's festivities there between the Jaguars and the Jets. More on the Jaguars coming up in just a bit. Zig Fricasi of SiriusXM NFL Radio. He's based in New York City. What's the vibe up there in New York with the Jaguars rolling in in less than 48 hours? Coming up next, we'll turn our gears to college football. The Gator season officially in the books, although, boy, they are ice cold on the recruiting trail. They're going to keep the class mostly intact tomorrow. It's a good class for Billy Napier, but they have missed on every single guy they've tried to get here over the last week and a half. I'm going to talk to Brent Beard about that. Why is that happening? We're also going to talk about the transfer portal I want to get into the transfer portal, too, in just a bit. Florida has gotten one guy out of the transfer portal. One. Caleb Banks, a D-lineman out of Louisville. There are about 290 players that went into the portal have already committed to different schools. 290 nationally. Florida's gotten one. You see Devin Leary, the NC State quarterback? He committed tonight to Kentucky. Why is Devin Leary going to Kentucky and not Florida? Why is Florida not getting anybody out of the transfer portal? 
Mike Norvell is doing it again in the portal. They've got six guys. They've gone out and got probably two guys that are start for them on the offensive line. They brought in Jaheim Bell, the tight end from South Carolina, that's probably going to be their starting tight end. Norvell is cleaning up the portal again this year. What are they doing in Gainesville? What? We'll talk about it next with Brent Beard, Attacker After Dark, on a Tuesday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now... Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Florida Gator season officially in the books. The transfer portal is on fire. And tomorrow is the early signing period in the month of December. There is a ton to get into. With that, let me welcome in my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You also get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, uh, an early uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah to our uh, listeners as we get closer. Um, I always enjoy the bowl games, even the minor ones. I'm, I'm a playoff guy, but there's a place for bowl games. We're approaching the uh, uh, certainly one of the biggest days of the year with uh, <clears throat> the early signing period where we need to go with that. Um, looking forward to uh, certainly Florida State playing, Georgia playing, and uh, also a, a what I would say one of the more intriguing Gator Bowls in a while. So uh, it, it, it's a good time of year. Yeah, there's no doubt about that all right it was not good for florida in las vegas on saturday i understand brent that they uh they didn't have a lot of guys and i didn't expect them to win but i expected them to compete a little bit and boy we didn't see a lot of that no no unfortunately uh that did not happen now i do give oregon state a lot of credit they um were ready to play that quarterback, uh, kind of in and out, Ben Gobranson, uh did a nice job. Florida did get the field goal at the end um, to keep the uh, scoring streak alive. Uh, I, to me, the big stand of the game was Oregon State holding Florida to uh, 39 yards on 33 carries. That told you basically what you needed to know. Unfortunately, Jack Miller did very little of anything. They had two yards of offense in the second quarter, not much else beyond that. I mean, I get the fact, Hag, in the big picture that folks are disappointed. Con- consecutive losing seasons, first time since 78, 79. I mean, they're losing guys like Trey Dean to the draft. But, look, the uh, – the Gator fan, but all, all you really do right now is just be patient uh, and, and, and hope that uh, this staff, uh, and this staff still knows a lot more about recruiting than Dan Mullen's staff. I, I can assure you that. Most, most amusing thing I've heard today was uh, Dan Mullen uh, on radio discussing recruiting. Uh, I, I thought that, that was rather amusing. 
but uh, I mean, between the portal and between uh, uh, recruiting high school seniors, I mean, that's where they are at this point. Now, they could get a guy like Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina, who, first of all, was linked to the Auburn situation. He's Now he's not. That's maybe more Devin Leary for Auburn. That that would help considerably. Uh, but I, I, I understand the anger for Gator fans, Hack, but uh, the reality is uh, this staff's not going anywhere, and it would not it would not do this program any good uh, to uh, get rid of him and try to hire somebody else after just a year. That that that's not the way you do it. No, I, I agree. And again, Brent Beard here with us. I don't. I don't. I hope no one's considering that. But I do hear some criticism. The natives are restless, Brent. They're not yes. happy at six and sure. seven. And with good reason. Look, I mean, you right. survive South Florida. You lose to Vanderbilt. I mean, it, even even the good times this year, other than Utah, there were some uh, very close calls. It could have been worse than six yeah. and seven. I certainly understand the frustration. No doubt. Uh, and, they've, and they've certainly got a right to that. Uh, and, and, look, I, I think if they had done something earlier at quarterback, to balance the Richardson situation, it would have helped uh, considerably uh, if Miller would have been up and going by what, hack midseason? Uh, at that point, you would have at least known uh, how realistic that it would have been all in all. But Osiris Torrance being out of the offensive line, you would think, how can one guy make that much difference? But, boy, it did, didn't it, Hank? I mean, they just could not protect Miller and be able to run the ball at all. So, so many of these things just kind of piled up uh, at this point. But we've also seen where uh, in the portal, and, again, what we've got to remember, there's going to be a lot of times you've got this portal going on to about the mid-January, then there's a break, and then it comes up again after spring practice, unless something's changed with it. So there, there's still going to be a couple of very important times in the portal for this Gator football team. Well, it's a double whammy, too. I mean, look, you, you're not playing well on the field. The season certainly did not end the way you wanted it to, and you're losing to Miami on recruits. I mean, that's the bottom line. Miami yeah. in a straight-up battle with Florida for the big tackle out of Massachusetts and Mark Fletcher, the running back out of American Heritage down south, beat Florida, and Miami got those commitments. And, and whether Cristobal got them or the NIL got them or, you know, whatever, Miami's getting these guys and Florida's not. So the, the thing for Napier and his staff is clear. You can hit the ground running and you can be the greatest recruiters on planet Earth. In a land of NIL, you got to get NIL. You got to get collectives yeah. because uh, you, right. you keep competing with Miami, you're losing a majority of these battles right now, and that needs to change. Well, and I think there's a couple things to that, too. The uh, one is, and again, Miami, to the credit, I mean, they got Javion Cohen from uh, Alabama. Uh, they also got um, Mark Fletcher, who is a blue-chip running back, uh, frankly. Um, but, but, but again, my, my thing with Miami is, I don't know, and, and, and 
the jury's still out very much with Miami, whether or not they can develop these kids, Hank. Uh, <clears throat> that, that, that's been the knock on Cristobal for a while. He's a good recruiter, but can he develop these guys? And again, you got to have them in order to develop them. And I, and I also get that, too. I mean, Florida right now is number 11 in rivals. Um, they've got 21. They'll get a few more, obviously, to go along with that. It would be nice to, to get a top 10 class. And they made, look, they made progress from where they were in the beginning um, a few weeks ago um, or, or certainly a few months ago. Uh, the, the way this thing's going, so hopefully that will help them. But yes, I I, I, I understand the frustration uh, with it. But look, if there's anything good that that came out of that Las Vegas situation is you've got your bowl out of the way, and now the only thing you can do is concentrate on bringing guys in. A couple of more for Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him right here on Hacker After Dark on a weekly basis. I actually think the bowl hurt them, Brent. I mean, uh, you know, you never want to decline a bowl invitation, but they lost the final weekend of of in-campus visits. And and your reward for that was getting boat raced and embarrassed on national television in Las Vegas in front of 25,000 people in a 70,000-seat stadium. I mean, what did that bowl game really do? It hurt recruiting. I know that. Because a couple of those kids that visited Florida on December 9th went to out went to uh, Miami last week and then committed to Miami. So I I almost think the bowl game was was a bad deal. They got a bad draw in getting the Las Vegas Bowl and, and Florida. Look again, you know you're competing with Miami. It's the reality of the situation. How many times are you going to have to get beat over the head until you either change up who you're recruiting? Or you go to some of these Gator boosters and say, hey, this collective needs to start rolling. Because other than sure, Rashada, correct. other than Jaden Rashada, and there are you know, various stories as to why that happened, Florida has lost every single battle with Miami this recruiting cycle. Uh, once you said Bears repeating, then a lot of this is up to Gator fans. They, they've got to uh, uh, get on board uh, two with the collective, and they've got to be more competitive uh, with this. Uh, <clears throat> but they—they've also—I mean, at some point they had to—they had to overturn this roster, and we knew that was coming. And look, the, you mentioned Miami and the competition from there. Obviously, the other big competition is coming from Florida State, who. Uh, Florida State at this point, and they've got the um, Cheez It Bowl with Oklahoma that's coming up. Um, so, uh, but they've got all kinds of momentum going in the other direction, uh, including now Florida's already got one, but they've got a new football building that they broke ground on over the weekend that, that very few people may have heard about. And I know those things don't mean as much as it probably they used to, but. You just kind of have them, don't you, Hank? I mean, it's just part of the process as you bring people in, uh, and you're competing with the Joneses for this. So uh, that that's what's changed for Florida is you've got a resurgent FSU on on the field, and frankly, off the field, and you've got a resurgent Miami uh, that is off the field with this NIL. Well, I'll give Florida State and Mike Norvell a ton of credit. 
They're hitting the transfer portal again. They've gotten, I think, four or five commitments out of the portal already, mm-hmm. including some really good players. Jaheim Bell from South Carolina is going to start yes. at Florida State next year at tight end. Meanwhile, yes. the Gators uh, got one commitment from basically a prospect and, and Caleb Banks from Louisville. So, you know, again, not talking about high school recruiting. We've now moved on to the portal. There is yeah. frustration from Gator fans on social media when every hour somebody's committing to Miami or somebody's committing to Florida State out of the portal and nothing, not a zip from the Gators to this point. Yeah, well, and I understand it. And and, uh, um, it, it, and then you've got Georgia that's doing Georgia things at this point and very possibly winning another national championship uh, that that is going on too. So this is going to be a crucial time. And, and again, it's not just this week. It extends through uh, – uh, I think the mid-January, as far as who is available uh, at this point, too. So there, are uh, plenty to look at this week, but but uh, it it's going to be going on now for quite a while, and I hope there is somehow that they can have Florida can have his own resurgence somewhere. And look, I'll give Billy Napier credit in this regard. He's hit Jacksonville in the Northeast Florida area pretty hard, getting um, Pyburn from Bowles last year. Tomorrow, Trayon Webb from Trinity Christian, Roderick Kearney from Orange Park, Sharif Denson from Bartram Trail are all set to sign on the dotted line for Florida State's part in this. They're getting Sam Singleton, a guy you're very familiar with, Brent, out there in Clay County from Fleming Island. Uh, Miami has not really got in here this year, uh, but certainly in the past with Will Mallory and Jalen Rivers and, and guys of that sort. How important is Northeast Florida going forward for Cristobal, for Napier, and for Norvell? Well, well, it's big. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, we saw more success in the postseason in this area than we have in quite a while. Uh, I think that's going to be very important. The other thing that's going to be interesting, and I know because of what you do with Friday Night Lights, you've seen this. I think that the other thing that's going to have to settle down, too, um, there's been a lot of transition in coaches around here, has it not? Uh, and I'm going to be very curious about how that uh, is going to, is going to happen. Some of the better coaches in the area, we've seen some retirements. We've seen them moving on. We've seen longtime guys uh, such as Fleming Island. That that staff was there with Damian Springs, Hack for uh, nearly ten years. So. Uh, oh, uh, a lot of transition around here, but there's still an unbelievable amount of talent too, isn't it? Yeah, look, those high school coaching staffs, Brent, you know this, they build relationships with the college coaches. And when a That's high right. school coaching staff changes over, the college coaches almost have to change as well yeah, and change their do. approach with, with different guys. All right, uh, moving forward, Florida State plays next week. We're still a little bit away from Georgia, although come to think of it, we're inside of two weeks till the college yep. football playoff. That thing's getting here pretty quick. Uh, your your early thoughts, we'll do it again next week more in depth, but your early thought on Florida State next week and on Georgia next week. Florida State uh, is playing very well. Uh, they're, the, they're one of the most consistent teams uh, in America right now. I think the stat that really – um, it tells me how well they're playing. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, 
in third down efficiency. They were 105th in the nation at 34%. This year, they're number three. Think about that a minute, 51% on third down. Uh, that That's a great – I think that's a great example of where they are right now and, and how much they've improved, how much with guys coming back, Jordan Travis, et cetera, uh, that bodes well for them. I tell you what, would it chunk you at all in, in the in the May preseason magazines if some of the prognostications have Florida State winning the ACC instead of Clemson? Act? I almost expect them to. I, I I think that very well may happen. I would agree with that. Uh, they've they they've got momentum uh, at this point. Uh, I mean Oklahoma, for instance. Their starting tackles, Antoine Harrison, uh, Wanya Morris, D. Lyman, Jalen Redman, Eric Gray at running back. Uh, they're all out for the draft uh, at this point, too. So uh, FSU with all kinds of momentum, uh, Oklahoma losing that after, frankly, a disappointing year for them. Uh, the the error points in FSU's favor right now, doesn't it? There's no doubt for Florida State. I really like them next week. In fact, I like them big against Oklahoma. We'll see about Georgia. They have Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, the college football playoff, right around the corner. Although, Brent, we'll have you on one more time next week before the playoff kicks off on December the 31st. Brent Beard, you get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. You also see him on First Coast News. Brent, as always, thank you for the time, man. Have a very Happy holidays to you and your family. We'll do it again next week. Good. You too, brother. Take care. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 11 o'clock hour has arrived in the city of Jacksonville. Glad you're with us. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my friend Zig Fricasse, Sirius XM NFL Radio. He is based up in New York City. We'll talk Jaguars and Jets. What are they saying in the city that never sleeps about the Jaguars rolling in on Thursday night? Zig Fricasse, Sirius XM, coming up in less than 15. At the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour, Justin Barney of Channel 4 as we get you set locally for signing day tomorrow, the December early signing period. Is it panic time for Florida? No. It's not panic time. I got a text on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Uh, One guy says, thank me for blocking him. I can't take criticism. I'm a coward. Denmark, am I a coward? Would you? Hacker is an ass. (laughs) Yeah, I might be that. I don't necessarily know if I'm a coward. Uh, no. Yeah. I don't know what instance you would be a coward. The only reason I block anybody on Twitter is if they get personal. I don't mind arguing with somebody about sports. I don't mind having a good back and forth. I don't mind having a conversation, even a heated conversation. When name-calling starts or anything along those lines or people get personal, I don't have time for that. You know, that's that's nonsense to me. And Twitter, thankfully, has a block button where I can get rid of all the nonsense. But, yeah, I don't ever block anybody unless you get personal. So, obviously, the 318, you got personal, which is why I blocked you. So, have a great night. 
Um, I did want to say this, though, about the Gators. The 226 on the text line. Hacker, quit acting like the world is coming to an end. Stop it. The Gators will be fine. It takes time, dude. We love you, man. Just breathe. Don't jump off the ledge. <laughs> well, I certainly don't plan on jumping off a ledge. You're talking dirty to me, and I kind of yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing with the Gators, though. I'm not saying it's panic time yet, but it's time to be concerned. I mean, they got a good class. Don't get me wrong. If they keep everybody that they have, if they get the 21 signatures tomorrow, <coughs> excuse me, it'll be a good class. They did not finish strong. They did not finish well. They lost out on Mark Fletcher, the running back from American Heritage to Miami. The tight end from Stanford, they thought they could flip tomorrow, is just committed to A&M tonight. They lost out on Sampson, the big tackle from Massachusetts to Miami. They're not going to get Ricks, the cornerback. It, it is not ending well for Florida. You combine that with the transfer portal, I'll say again, as of five minutes ago, 290 players nationally that entered the portal have already committed to different schools. 290. Only one has committed to Florida. And that's, uh, you know, kind of a project player, a guy that very rarely played at Louisville, Caleb Banks. He's got good size. He could be a great player, ultimately. So there is some concern there. You look at Florida State, they've already got six guys out of the portal. Six. They got two offensive linemen that are most likely going to start for them next year. They got a tight end, Jaheim Bell, out of South Carolina, that's most likely going to start for them next year. Norvell, again, is cleaning up in the portal. Devin Leary, the quarterback, NC State, commits to Kentucky tonight. Florida needs to find a quarterback. I mean, that's the bottom line. Why would any receiver or any tight end or anybody along those lines commit to Florida right now out of the portal when you don't know who your quarterback's going to be? Go get a flipping quarterback. And then it'll be easier to attract wide receivers, tight ends, and skill position players. We'll have a lot of coverage for signing day tomorrow. We're scheduled to have three Gator signees on this program tomorrow night, including Trayon Webb from Trinity Christian and Jaden Robinson from Lake City, Columbia. Coming up next, Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio up in New York City. What are they saying in New York about the Jaguars and the Jets? We'll talk with Zig Fricasi next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Jets, Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL as the Jaguars, with three games to go, now control their own destiny for an AFC South Division Championship. Let's go talk with my friend Zig Fricasi. You hear him on SiriusXM NFL Radio, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zig, how we doing? 
Hacker, I'm doing well, and I would have thought uh, maybe before the start of the season, if you're saying the Jaguars control their own destiny in December, I would say you need to get head examined. But <laughs> it doesn't prove to be the case now because, quite frankly, uh, Jacksonville's on a nice run, of course, off that big win against Dallas. And the way Tennessee has slid, things are looking up there for uh, First Coast North, aren't they? Yeah, Zig, look, I mean, they were 3-7. and seven. I would have agreed with you before the year when we saw each other in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame for Tony Baselli. I No way I would have thought the Jaguars would control their own destiny with three weeks to go, maybe for the number one overall pick, but not for a division <laughs> championship. And even a month ago, Zig, I mean, they're 3-7, and seven, had lost a ton of close games, but my yep. goodness, the win over Baltimore, the win in Tennessee, and then yesterday beating America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, Zig, they're not only winning, but boy, they're beating good teams in the process. You know, and the thing about it, I go back even a little bit further, if you remember the game against Kansas City, that was one of those games where they obviously they didn't win. They lost 27 to 17, but watching a little bit of that game, I said, "You know what? This team's going to be a pain in the butt to play because they weren't phased by the big moment, the hostile crowd at Arrowhead Stadium." And I'm thinking, "You know what? Even though they lost, and you hate to use the word moral victory, uh, to me, I thought they acquitted themselves well. And then since then, they've won three out of four. You had the hiccup, uh, the big hiccup that was against Detroit. But now we look at them. They may be the hottest team in the NFL. So it's no crime losing to Dan Campbell's Lions. So they've won the three out of the four. And again, Ravens, playoff caliber team. The Titans still lead the South. And of course, the Cowboys, they are a playoff team, even though they lost because uh, the Giants knocked off Washington on Sunday night. So that... Uh, help Dallas get in the back door. But the fact is, Hacker, that they're looking at uh, you know a, a playoff push here, and it's clear to see that uh, the Doug Peterson factors worked in and Trevor Lawrence is starting to look like the Clemson Trevor Lawrence. So watch out, NFL. I think there's good times ahead for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's Zig Fricasi on Sirius XM NFL Radio. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zig, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Um, look, Untapped potential. I mean, we knew how good he was. Obviously, he dealt with the nonsense of Urban Meyer last year. But my goodness, the last five, six games, 14 touchdowns, only one pick. Zig, he's really turned things around. Yeah, he really has. And, you know, the thing was, too, looking back at the, the game yesterday when he had that uh, scramble, but then he lost the ball after the hit, and then Dallas recovered. Now, inexplicably, if you're a Cowboys fan, they weren't able to wrap up the clock. Uh, hence, Jacksonville got the ball down. And then, you know, Trevor Lawrence working some of his magic there. So, uh, yeah, again, I mean, it was absolutely tremendous. Four touchdowns in the game against Dallas. And you're right, only the one uh, interception uh, during that span. And the lowest completion percentage I saw was, what, 55 against the Lions. But he's accurate with his passes. He's starting to get more receivers into the flow. Zay Jones has really emerged, I think. Marvin Jones, you know, he's always going to be Mr. Consistency. Kirk, I thought they overspent for, but he is a, a good, steady guy to have around. So, um, you know, it's really good to see Trevor Lawrence starting to look a little more like uh, the top overall pick and the great stud that he was at Clemson. You hear Zig Fricasi on Sirius XM NFL Radio. 
He's with us here on 1010 XL. Zig, Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. I agree with you. There was a lot of grief, I guess is a good word, given to the Jaguars for the amount of money that they spent on those guys. But all three of those guys are going to have career years. Kirk has already caught more touchdowns in this season than he ever did in Arizona. Zay Jones had another 100-yard game yesterday, three touchdowns against the Dallas Cowboys, and Evan Ingram signed a one-year, quote-unquote, prove-it deal to bet on himself, and he's going to cash in, hopefully, here in Jacksonville with a long-term contract this offseason. I mean, Zig, those three guys against Dallas this past weekend, 20 catches, over 200 yards, and those three touchdowns. Again, just a testament to not only them, but what Trevor Lawrence is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, Evan Ingram. I actually had him on uh, after the game against Tennessee where he had the career high in receiving yards, and he just couldn't stop uh, praising Trevor Lawrence for you know his ability to you know stand under fire and uh, be able to make the necessary plays. So it's one of those things, I think, He's got to realize, hey, you know, maybe I could get uh, richer elsewhere, but I'm with an ascending team. The young quarterback's turning out to be the stud that he was uh, coming out of college. Maybe I want to hang around, be a part of a winning culture there. So, um, you know, and the fact that he's healthy here, uh, being based near New York City where I am, you know, that was the one thing about Ingram. He couldn't stay on the field when he was with the Giants, but, now he's got the consistency, he seems to have the health, and you mentioned some of these other guys. They're blended in nicely, and hopefully for their sake, uh, they're able to keep most, if not all, these guys together going forward as this uh, trajectory continues. Zig, when you talk about Doug Peterson, right, obviously the X's and O's and the play calling, and that's a, a huge part of it. I don't want to you know, act like I'm, I'm poo-pooing that. I mean, that's a huge part of well, the Jaguars' success and, and what Doug Peterson's doing here. But he had a job to do in cleaning this place up from the, the stench of Urban Meyer last year and, and changing the attitude. We talk about changing the culture. And now you hear the word belief, right? Even though they're down 17, I'll tell you a great stat. The Jaguars were 1 and 112 from 1995 to 2021 when they were trailing by 17 points plus in games. They had won one time in 113 wow. games in their history when they trailed by 17 or more. They've won twice now with Doug Peterson in 2022. Again, a testament to Peterson changing the culture here. Boy, and that is quite the stat. I didn't even realize that. That's a great tidbit. Yeah, I mean, coming back from, you know, 17-point deficits. Look, I mean, here's a guy, you know, who, who knows the locker room because he's been – an NFL player. I mean, he was the quarterback when uh, Don Chula broke the all-time wins record, ironically enough, in Philadelphia when uh, Peterson was the quarterback that day for the Miami Dolphins. And then, of course, as we know, uh, went to Philadelphia later as a coach and uh, wound up ending, what was it, nearly a 60-year title drought there. The guy gets the players, and I think that's a big thing. He's been part of the locker room he knows what makes guys tick, having been a player himself. So I think that's part of it. And the fact is, you know, when you establish that belief system and you establish that confidence, and I think the players realize, hey, 
This guy's won a championship. They played some exciting ball in Philadelphia. He's been to the playoffs, so I think that gives them street cred. And then you establish that culture, if you will, instead of berating somebody for a mistake they made. You know, you go up to them and say, hey, maybe he could have done this different, handled it that way. So I think all of the psychology, in addition to the X's and O's, has worked out famously there, and that's why I think the Jaguars are showing marked improvement, and I think you're absolutely right. A lot of that is because Doug Peterson has changed the temperature uh, of what's gone on there in Jacksonville. Final moments here with Zig Fricasi of Sirius XM NFL Radio. All right, Zig, it's a big one on Thursday night. Uh, the Jaguars at 6-8 and eight control their own destiny for an AFC South championship, but the Jets stand in their way. The Jaguars have to go to New Jersey. It's going to be cold. It's a short week. Now, the Jets are in a must-win situation. The Jaguars are ascending you could argue the Jets are on the decline. They it wasn't long ago they were what six and two, and they're now seven and seven. So they're clearly uh, struggling. As the time we're talking, it appears it's going to be Zach Wilson for the Jets, which is also an interesting storyline. Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson, number one versus number two from the 2021 draft. Zig, what's yep. your thought on Thursday night there with the Jaguars and the Jets? Well, that's going to be the, the key here. We've been praising Jacksonville for being able to rally uh, from far from behind in games and be able to win. Now I think it's going to be one of these things here, Hack, where can they handle the expectation? Because I think now people looking at them is like, oh, wow, this team's come out of nowhere. Now they're expected to do well. But you mentioned, and I think very astutely here, it is a short week. You're, you're, you're also going to be coming against a team that, like you mentioned, has lost three in a row for their last five. Although I'll tell you something, they play really good defense. This is going to be a big-time test uh, for Trevor Lawrence because the Jets get after it under head coach Robert Salas. So how they, ex- how they handle the expectation, and it's supposed to rain uh, around here in the, the New York City um, Meadowlands area, so – how they're able to deal with the uh, the elements in addition to the expectations. This could be one of those litmus test type of games to see just how far the Jags have come. Zig, final thought. If it is Zach Wilson, and again, at the time you and I are talking, it appears to be heading that way that Zach Wilson will get the start. National TV, uh, it appears it's Mike White's job when he gets healthy there in New York, although I don't believe he's healthy still with the cracked ribs. I mean, how much pressure is there on Zach Wilson not only getting the start but going up against Trevor Lawrence? I think there's a lot. I think this is an audition for him. I mean, actually, you know, watching the game yesterday against the Lions, I mean, he did complete what was just 50% of the passes, but he put them in a position where at least they could have tried the game-tying field goal and it obviously missed badly, and even Sala admitted uh, that he uh, should have handled the, the time management differently. I thought Wilson, other than the, the poor interception he threw, you know, made a couple of clutch throws, and he even referred to it solid today, talking about this being the instant coffee era and that we're just not wanting to give people time. So uh, we look at him, and this was his quote, he's just nitpicked with a fine-tooth comb. I mean, he's only had a handful of starts here, Ryan. So I, I think ultimately – if we see progress from him, the Jets obviously have to hope that this works out because he was the second overall pick. But make no mistake, um, Mike White 
has something of an it factor. The guys love him, especially Wilson, the first-round pick out of Ohio State. He has a really good rapport with him. So this is going to be really interesting to see going forward. I think Zach Wilson probably playing for his football future the last three games here uh, with the New York Jets. Zig Fricasse, Sirius XM, NFL Radio, and always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zig, have a happy holidays, my friend. Thank you, as always. We'll talk again around playoff time. Hack any time, my brother. Happy holidays to you and yours, too. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. It is the December early signing period tomorrow. A lot of area prospects from around Northeast Florida. We'll put pen to paper. It's a great day for them, their families, and all involved with high school sports. Justin Barney of Channel 4 joins us here on the High School Spotlight on 1010XL. Justin, how are we doing? Not too bad, Hank. Winding down for Christmas. A lot of uh, signing on the horizon. Our all-area teams, we got a lot cooking for these last uh, week and a half of December. Justin, the December signing period. You've covered high school football for a long time. Do you like it? Yeah, kind of kind of mixed thoughts on it. I mean, to me, um, it, it fills that need of uh, you let those elite guys go early. You can kind of plan things with the portal now. It's it's almost a necessity. Um, but I'm, I'm more of a an old school guy where I like that traditional February signing period. But uh, it's just made recruiting uh, just that much more blockbuster in about a two-month span. No question. I do think, um, you know, the whole signing day thing has lost some luster. I mean, you know as well as I do, a decade ago, that first Wednesday in February was insanity. And now with December, it certainly has taken away from that a little bit. Yeah, I remember when the first December early signing period came in and I talked to some some guys who'd been doing it a while, Mike Farrell, who was then at Rivals, uh, Tom Luganbill, ESPN. And, you know, it, they just did not know what to expect going into that because it was a, the thought it was new and you didn't really know what was going to happen. But really, after you, you saw the wave of signings on that first day of that early period, you really kind of took and you said, OK, this is the new it. This is the new day. This is the new time. And then you know, that February signing day period really lost a little bit of that uh, that prestige, that luster that shine that it had so much. And now that's become more of the spot filler day, you know, where, where teams fill out those classes and that early December period has become uh, the de facto time to see over the three day period. So very surprised um, initially, but uh, it is what it is now. And December is, uh, is the new February. Justin Barney of channel four. It's going to be a big day for the Gators here locally, as I believe four guys are putting pen to paper to commit to the University of Florida. Let's go to Columbia County, to Lake City. Linebacker Jaden Robinson. There's a lot of people around here, Justin, that maybe haven't seen him. He was a South Carolina verbal that flipped to Florida. What kind of player are the Gators getting there? He is phenomenal. He's a very, very good defensive player. I had a chance to talk to him twice, uh, once before the season and once uh, right during state semifinal time, and he is an assassin on the field. Very good defensive player. Uh, he'll need to put on some weight in college, but he is a great player. Kind of fits that mold of uh, if you go back in the old school of Columbia days, uh, he is one of those old school kind of players that you used to see coming out of Lake City, and he is just a phenomenal athlete. Really the reason why they were able to get to the state semifinals this year at Columbia was a very, very good defense, and he was the face of that defense. So many big plays from Jaden Robinson. Gators fans are going to love watching him play in the Swamp. Historically, Florida 
has not done great with Lake City, Columbia. Now, a lot of that might have to do with the fact that Brian Allen was the coach there for a decade plus, a former Seminole. But even before that, you wonder if Billy Napier getting a guy like Robinson can maybe infiltrate Columbia County a little bit more now. Yeah, you, you think that. You know, it used to be Florida State country out in Lake City. Brian Allen was there. He's a Florida State guy. And they did have a, a couple Florida guys in there. Trey War comes to mind. Um, but, it, again, you just need that one guy to unlock that. And same with, you know, like uh, uh, Billy Napier getting Sharif Denson out of Bartram Trail. You know, and a couple years ago, Bartram had another guy go there, Trevez Johnson. So you want that foot in the door at a program like a Bartram Trail, like a Columbia. And, you know, Bartram has not had – Many guys at all go to Florida. They've they've gone elsewhere. So you hope with two guys in the last three recruiting cycles that uh, that you can get in at one of the best schools, public schools in our area. Um, Billy Billy uh, Napier doing a good job to get Sharif Denson early in that period. And uh, again, same thing with Lake City, Columbia. Get him before that uh, that rush comes on, and uh, hopefully you get a foot in the door. You get a seat at those tables every year if you're a guy like Billy Napier. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, what type of player is Sharif Denson? Love Sharif Denson. And you look at his stats, they, they're not overwhelming. Uh, they're not you blow you off, uh, off the water kind of stats. But he is a guy to me like a Jaheim Singletary. And the, the, the best team stayed away from him. They knew what was going on on Sharif's side of the field, much like they did with Jaheim, former Riverside player, went to Georgia. And their stats just aren't there. But to me, Sharif made more of an impact in his senior season um, than he has at any other time in his career. And I uh, talked to him before the season, and he said he wanted to play a bigger role in the Bartram team. He wanted to do more. He felt like he was in a position to do more. And uh, he just erased one side of the field, field goals, and he was a playmaker. We send out nominations for Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, Sharif was in that mix, mentioned by numerous coaches as the best defensive player in the area billy napier getting an absolute stud in sharif denson florida gets robinson out of columbia county gets denson out of st john's county they also went to clay county justin and got roderick kearney who was one time committed to florida state and he flipped to florida the big offensive lineman i think he played tackle at orange park projected maybe as a guard at the college level the one thing i know about roderick kearney is that he's big He's very big. I remember being very impressed by him when I interviewed him at High School Media Day. Justin, what type of player is Roderick Kearney? Another guy who's really been a known quantity, known entity since his uh, freshman year. I remember Tom McPherson told me when Rod was a freshman that he was a guy we could have a chance to see playing on, uh, definitely on Saturdays for a Power 5 program, and uh, possibly on Sunday. He was just that type of player. Um, and again, you look at two of the biggest recruits in, in our area this year, Jordan Hall at Westside and Rod Kearney at Orange Park, and they're not at traditional schools. Those guys both could have transferred to bigger schools. They showed loyalty. You stay there for four years at non-traditional football powers, playing with your friends, trying to, to leave a legacy, and I think that speaks volumes about a Rod Kearney. He plays with a nasty streak. And uh, Jordan Hall at Westside as well. I think two very good players. They'll be connected for quite some time. They know each other. They've gone against each other on the field. And uh, and I love Rod Kearney, and I love Jordan Hall this year. Finally, Justin here in Duval County, the Florida Gators have got Trayon Webb. Uh, he is going to sign tomorrow morning, I believe. Trayon Webb's recruiting process started years ago. He could have gone anywhere, was committed to a couple of schools, including Oklahoma, before Lincoln Riley left. Ultimately, he ends up as a Florida Gator, one of the better running backs, clearly, in Northeast Florida in quite some time. 
Yeah, Treyon is a, is a good kid, and um, I think that the knock on him has been his health. Uh, he's been banged up a good portion of you know that sophomore of that junior season, um, and towards the tail end of his junior season, got healthy, delivered a state championship to Trinity Christian. He was healthy this year, played in a two back system, so his stats weren't as impressive. But you know he's a guy that you knew was going to get the ball just about every time. Colin Hurley dropped back to hand it off, and he delivered thousand yard rusher once again, and he kind of continues that family uh, family tradition. D Webb. Of course, was a big star for the Gators in the secondary. He played at Ed White, one of the best defensive backs uh, to play in this area. So uh, that Webb family tradition uh, carries on in Gainesville. And I think people are going to like Trey on Webb when they see him, find out what kind of player he is. He's a physical runner. He's not going to back down. And I think once he gets bigger and stronger and stays healthy in college, he is going to be a very, very good asset in that Billy Napier offense. A couple more for Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, Florida State. Not to be outdone, they went to Clay County and got Fleming Island running back Sam Singleton. You and I talked about him briefly last week. Like Trayon Webb, a very good running back heading to college and this time to Tallahassee. Yeah, really, and a good get for Mike Norvell to come into this area and, and get a Sam Singleton type of player. And you know, Sam was a guy who probably didn't have the headlines as a, as a Trayon Webb did, but he is very good. He's a shifty back. He's fast. He hits the hole hard. And man, he is a physical runner as well. You see him, he's 5'11, about a buck 85. And, but man, he is a physical, physical runner. I think he's going to fit in that mold of that Florida State back alongside Jordan Travis handing the ball next year. And I think that is going to be a good fit for Sam Singleton. And uh, you got a big runner going out to Tallahassee, too. A lot of times those, those Florida State commits kind of get looked over a little bit in this area just because the, the proximity to Gainesville we are. But um, it is nice to see that. Uh, that not a, not say a pipeline, but a little bit of a of a flow going out to Tallahassee and picking up, and I think that seminal success this season is only going to amp that up. Justin, it certainly appears that Mike Norvell and Billy Napier have put quite an emphasis on Northeast Florida. We're going to see some battles between those two on the recruiting trail here in Jacksonville and the surrounding area. How vital is our area to both what they're trying to do in Gainesville and Tallahassee? I think it's uh, it's massive, and for for whatever reason, I think you've seen a little bit of that lag in in the last uh, couple coaching administrations, coaching regimes out there um, have not had that success in uh, in that Jacksonville, the Greater Jacks area, um, and we've seen so many good players come out of this area and perform at those schools. I mean, Tim Tebow, Brandon James. Uh, I mean, so many guys go and start Florida uh, and Florida State. I mean, go back to, I mean, Andre Cooper at Florida State. And uh, I mean, we have had so many guys, Vinez Gooch at Florida State and Florida. Um, so many good guys have come out of this area and played roles on those teams at Florida State and, and Florida. And for whatever reason, that's lagged a little bit uh, in these last few years. But nice to see it. Uh, getting a stride, especially for Florida this year, uh, pulling as many guys out of North Florida as Billy Napier has, uh, significant for him. And you get that foothold going back in this area. And I think those programs have to stop letting those good players get out of this area, really leave the state as well, too. I mean, you look at a guy like a Derek Henry, he should have never gotten out of Yulee. He should have stayed in Florida and played there. So I think it's it's massively important 
for those coaching staffs. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Mike Norvell, um, that footprint in, in the area starting to expand. And I do not think you can uh, you got to pay attention to North Florida if you're those two coaches. And I think this year is a good way of of getting back to that. Um, Kenton Kirkland going to Florida State from Reigns. So um, it's nice to see those guys. I think we have six guys going to Florida and Florida State in this cycle alone. And I think it's great for our area to get back to that uh, that 90s and early 2000s Florida and Florida State recruiting dominance here. That's a great point on Kirkland from Reigns. What type of player is Florida State getting? Excellent. He's a guy that uh, he's a fast guy. He's a track guy as well. Uh, can run, can can hit, can pick it off. I think he had three picks this season. And again, he's a guy that's going to benefit from getting into college weight room, putting that uh, putting that on him, putting that weight on him. He could be a player um, like a Trey Marshall out there at at, uh, at Florida State. Final moments with Justin Barney of Channel 4. It's not all about Florida and Florida State. Other Power 5 guys, there are too numerous to mention, but just single a couple out. Devon Patterson of Ed White on his way to Wake Forest. Certainly Grayson Howard of Jackson on his way to South Carolina. All indications are the guy you mentioned earlier, Jordan Hall. It appears Georgia. That's going to be announced on Thursday. But clearly other guys, very good players, are leaving the state to go to other programs. Yeah, and I think that that happens naturally. And, again, you, you two coaching staffs that are relatively newness to the area. I mean, Napier is going into year two. Uh, Mike Norvell just has not had the success until this season. So I think it'll take a little bit of time for to get that impression back in this area. But, yeah, you're going to see that every year. But I think if you can get some of those guys, prevent the, the Grayson Howards from going out of state, um, you know, the, the Connor Coxes uh, going to, to South Carolina, the Bulls tight end, uh, Brendan Black, Bulls offensive lineman going to Iowa State. You mentioned Devon Patterson going to Wake Forest. If you can start keeping some of those guys home, even expand it down even to Miami or, or a USF kind of school, keep that top talent in state. And I think uh, I think that's uh, in the grand scheme of things, you'd like to see that if you're a, a Sunshine State resident to see some of that uh, that top talent from the area stay here and, uh, and lead some of those uh, uh, local regional type of schools. Hey, Justin, final question. Is there anybody, in your opinion, that's signing tomorrow that maybe got under-recruited that's going to a group of five or even a one double A that you think might might be pretty good on the next level? Yeah, I like uh, Zach Girardi a lot from Yuli. Uh, he's he's, uh, he's committed to UConn, receiver 6'3", about a buck 85. And I think uh, I think he is going to be a very good player at the college level. I like Amari Farrell, too, out of Columbia, going to Indiana. He's 6'2", 190, got a lot of size, safety in, at the next level. Um, I like those two guys a lot. Yeah, I remember talking with Zach out at Yuli during the uh, Hacker High School football tour, and I agree. He looks like he's got something to him. It'll be very interesting to see what he does in a Jim Moore Jr. offense up there at UConn. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, give yourself a little bit of love, man. I know you're going to be busy tomorrow. What kind of coverage can people expect? Yeah, it's you know, interesting this week. It's three days, the early signing period, guys. You know, a lot of schools already out in the area, too. So a lot of these signings will be at, at houses, parents' houses, or probably in the kitchen uh, at some houses. Some are doing them at, at churches or, or local community houses. Uh, Jordan Hall, he's actually signing the, the biggest one uh, this week at um, at Westside. So that'll be at 2.30 on Thursday. So if you haven't seen Jordan Hall, heard him, had an interview with him or anything like that, you've got to find some uh, somebody who's got an interview with Jordan on Thursday because he is about one of the funniest, uh, affable guys you will ever meet. I, I cannot wait for him to get to college and, and have some fun with the media up there. So that is going to be a good one to see where he goes. 
Uh, but three days of signing coverage kind of here and there. It starts tomorrow. Reigns has a signing day tomorrow night. Um, and we've got just kind of scattered throughout Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. A lot of coverage. You can check that out at newsforjacks.com. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, thank you as always, man. Have a very happy holidays, and we'll talk again soon. Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us here on the High School Spotlight. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very, very busy Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, our late night. Thank you guys for staying up with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. You heard from Justin Barney of Channel 4. You heard from a couple of Gator signees. Tomorrow they will sign on the dotted line. Jordan Castile, the four-star safety from down in the Orlando area, one of the top 15 safeties in the country. He joined us tonight, as did Trinity Christian running back Trayon Webb. Both young men will sign with Florida tomorrow. Thank you to Zig Fricasi of SiriusXM NFL Radio as we previewed the Jaguars and the Jets now well inside of 48 hours to kick off on that one. And, of course, my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him right here every week talking college ball on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night, our final Hacker After Dark of the week. On Thursday, I'll be a part of Jaguar pregame coverage from 3 o'clock to 5.15 with Hayes Carline. Then, of course, the Jaguar game will air on Thursday night. And on Friday morning, we will have a special fifth quarter filling in for the drill. Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and yours truly, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Friday morning, reviewing the Jaguars and the Jets. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on a Tuesday here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday, and we'll do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.